You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast.
But you see God in nature. See, God is not nature. But you can see God in nature. Are you with me here? He reveals himself. God reveals himself through arm and thumb. Of course, we understand that in the Old Testament, the priest would have on his chest plate, on his breastplate, uh, the high priest at least, he would, he would sometimes determine the will of God through arm and thumb. These were two stones. One would light up to say, you go this way. One would light up to say, you go that way. So God reveals himself through arm and thumb. And I know a lot of you that have been studying your Bible, you know that. You understand that. Yeah. Right? Amen? Okay, amen. Some of you are looking at me like, I know, bro, I don't. Thanks for revealing that to me. God revealed himself through dreams. We understand that in the book of uh, Daniel. How God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar the plight of all the histories, of, of all the empires throughout history. God revealed some things to him, and he also revealed that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be going to be humbled if he didn't uh, fall in line there. Daniel, of course, uh, uh, revealed that. God reveals himself through vision. Of course, in Isaiah, Isaiah says that, he says he saw, he saw the vision of the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. And that is where our Lord is. He is lofty. He is to be exalted this morning. So if you're here, you, you are here to exalt God. You're here to worship God. He reveals himself through vision. We understand the vision that we have as a movement to evangelize the nations in one generation. Are you with me here? That is a vision that we hold sacred. We will not let it die. We will not let the fire be put out. That is the vision that God has given us through Matthew chapter 28. God reveals himself through vision. Are you with me here? God reveals himself through miracles and supernatural events. Of course, we understand the plagues in the book of Exodus. Remember that, the plague of frogs? I mean, talk about humbling. That would be challenging to have the plague of frogs come into your house. And these frogs just jumping all over. I mean, that would not fire up most of the wives here today. If the Lord humbles you with the plague of frogs. But God revealed himself in a supernatural way in the Old Testament through miracles. We understand God does not reveal himself through miracles nowadays, even though God himself can perform a miracle. That isn't how he chooses to reveal himself to us in the new day, in our day now. He reveals himself through the word of God. We understand that. God in the Old Testament revealed himself through the prophets of the Bible. Whether it was Jeremiah, whether it was Daniel, Joel, or Zechariah. These all played major roles in the truth about God's, uh, the revelation of God's word and the truth about that. God reveals himself through the prophets. Of course, nowadays, we have prophets today. We have men and women who preach the word of God. And uh, we understand that you've been revealing God to those people that are out there. Of course, God reveals himself through none other than the Bible. He reveals himself through the written scriptures in first, or in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It's he inspired by God. And when the Bible is opened on us, it is not man who is talking to you, but it is literally God revealing something to you. So if it's something that's said in the Word of God, it's not man, it is God speaking to you. Are you with me here? God reveals himself through the Word of God. But there's no event that's more, that, 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 that was more powerful, more, more, more important, better than David Hay winning the fight, better than Andy Murray losing the tennis match. But there's no event that's more powerful than the revelation that Jesus was the Christ. That's the sum sin of all mankind. Are you with me here? We're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. 
I believe that this particular event, the birth of Jesus Christ, in some ways can be seen as the greatest event of history. But I don't believe it was the greatest event in history. I believe it was the second greatest event in history. I mean, it could have been the greatest, but I think it was the second greatest. You say, well, the second greatest. I think the second greatest would have been the resurrection. The greatest being the birth, the second being the resurrection of Jesus. Are you with me here? And of course, that's what's revealed to us in Luke chapter 2 here. Luke chapter 2. If you're here with us this morning, we've been studying that book of Luke, digging on in there, and we are uh, truly uh, uh, very, very, very encouraged at what Luke has been teaching us. Uh, just as a quick reminder, if you weren't here last week, of course, as he starts this book, he opens it up, Theophilus. And of course, Theophilus is a literary device. It literally means friend of God. I hope you feel as if you're a friend of God. Better yet, I hope you are a friend of God. Any friends of God out there that I know this morning? That's how Luke opens up the book. Luke is a Gentile. Because I don't see any Jews here, so that should fire you on up. Uh, His name, Luke, gives him away. Uh, he also is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. We remember that. He writes the book to Rome, which is primarily full of Jews, or primarily full of Gentiles. And in his writing, he records everything in a logical way, a historical way, but not necessarily chronological. There are a few different events in some of the other Gospels that are put in different positions. But Luke's goal is he's trying to persuade you to worship the Lord. He's trying to persuade you that God is real. You with me here? We believe he was a convert to Judaism before he became a Christian. Before he became a disciple, he converted. He didn't have a bunch of scientific facts to pull him to faith, even though as a doctor he was scientific. And that teaches us nowadays, you don't need science in God. If a scientist says, listen, Jesus resurrected, I see the testimony in men's lives, and I've changed my life, hey, then we need to be able to get behind that ourselves. Are you with me here? But he was a convert to Judaism before he became a Christian, and we know that because he joined Paul in the second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. Paul chose him for the mission team, and of course, Luke wrote the book of Acts as well. And he wrote it to Theophilus, friends of God. And of course, in that, he highlights that Timothy was circumcised. And that's the point that always wakens up every single brother in the church here. When you start talking about circumcision, all of a sudden the brothers sit up. Okay, okay, where's the preacher going with this here? But we understand Timothy was circumcised. And of course circumcision is cutting away of the the foreskin. And of course spiritually, we understand you come to church and the word is revealed, God cuts away a few sins in your life. God cuts away a few things. On that particular mission team, God had to cut a few things away in the heart of Timothy. God was circumcising him so he could go on into the synagogue. But Luke being a gentleman, well, it isn't recorded that he got circumcised. So we can do some math, and he was already circumcised, and he went with Paul, being someone who was already a convert to Judaism. He went into the synagogue with Paul. Colossians chapter 4, verse 14 teaches that Luke was a doctor. Amen? This encourages those who are going to medical school, like our sister who had a birthday yesterday, Kia. And I said, you know, uh, there are medical students that became disciples in the Bible. She goes, no way, bro. I said, yeah, Luke's a doctor. She goes, hey, man, okay. You know, she got all fired up about it. But Colossians 4 verse 14 teaches that he was a doctor. 
And that encourages even the likes of uh, the doctor that we have amongst us today. Dr. Jennifer Watts is there. You know, and, uh, you know, it encourages, encourages there to see uh, God revealed and doctors can become Christians. Amen? Amen. We remember all those different things. We also remember that the book of Acts records the death of Stephen. It records the death of one of the first uh, apostles to die. That was James. Uh, but uh, it leaves out, uh, Luke purposely leaves out the death of Paul. He purposely leaves that out. Why? Luke was a very loyal guy. And in fact, Paul himself highlighted in his letter, in his last letter, he wrote three letters. He wrote First Timothy, he wrote uh, Second Timothy, but he also wrote Titus. Those letters, he wrote First Timothy, then he wrote Titus, then he, his last letter was Second Timothy. And in that, that letter, he highlighted that uh, Luke alone is with me. I mean, it's almost an honor, it's almost a sadness there in the heart of Paul. That the loyalty in the kingdom at that time had gotten so few that there were only, there was only a few that were loyal. There was only Luke that was loyal. You know, to be a man of God, to be a woman of God, there's got to be loyalty in your heart. You've got to be loyal not only to God, but also to your brothers. Are you with me here? And that's what Paul says. He says, Luke alone is with me. Just highlighting the loyalty of Luke. We understand Luke is one of the synoptic gospels. Matthew being written to a Jewish audience, Mark being written to a Gentile audience. Of course, Luke is written to a Gentile audience as well. And of course, Luke had access to certain few documents, which were kind of historical orations, rather, uh, that he used to pen his letter. And uh, we, we, we understand that uh, as, as, a, as a doctor, he could have went scientific on us, but he just reveals the history there. Uh, and he reveals that we all need to, to trust and love the Lord. You guys with me there? Let's, let's dig on into the text here, Luke chapter 2. Point number one. Revelation through uncertainty. God reveals himself through uncertainty. Every man and every woman will have to deal with uncertainty. If you are a Christian, you will have to embrace uncertainty. God does not just reveal everything so firm and firm for you. He's not going to reveal the fire for, for you. He's not going to do that all that. Sometimes there's uncertainty. God. And you need to expect They wanted political deliverance. But they didn't know they were going to get spiritual deliverance. I mean, that's just like us. Sometimes we think we need financial deliverance. No, you need spiritual deliverance. We think we need, you know, I I need a marriage. I need relational deliverance. No, you need spiritual deliverance. That that perfect man is going to be fine when you become the perfect woman. That perfect woman is fine when you become the perfect man. That's like the perfect man. That's Jesus Christ. You guys with me here? Revelation through uncertainty, Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that offended the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Crenus was governor of Syria. And everything to his own town to register. I mean, this is an intense thing here. This guy, Caesar, issues a command. Does he not? To the whole world. And the whole obeys his command. And we find right there that awesome that Caesar had issued that command, but we understand that Jesus Christ issued a command for us. That we are all to obey. 
And we understand at the end of Luke's gospel, that command is simply to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything. And of course, this was, it was awesome to see everyone register. But wouldn't it be awesome to see everyone register to become a disciple? Wouldn't it be awesome if the Lord could just take a census over London, England? And everyone could say, I want to follow Jesus. The truth is that trials are dark on every hand in my life. And I cannot understand. There's uncertainty. I, I've gone to a church and I don't know if they're keeping the truth. I tried to become a disciple and I tried to live the life, but I don't know if I, I, I was truly a disciple. It's so awesome that the entire world says, we want to register to find make disciples of all nations. And we believe that we will evangelize this world, so we're putting that command on out there in the name of Jesus. Are you with me here? Report. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. You see, you see Joseph is, is a pretty crazy guy here, and he, and he belongs to the line of David. And of course, he, he says he's in the town of Nazareth. Nazareth was not the financial capital. Nazareth was 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 pretty poor. I mean, this was. This, this was this was a, a tougher part of town when I when I came here. Everyone says you know you don't want to go, you don't want to go out. Peckham, you don't want to go to Peckham. You don't want to go to Peckham. And that's what I heard. So I went to Peckham. <laughs> I went to Peckham, and I went to Peckham with a brother of mine, a friend of mine, our brother over there. Me and, me and Ola went down, down there to reveal the word of God to a, to a man and a woman. We went down there to reveal it to Rudy and Foda. Rudy and Foda. I think Foda's here with Foda at. There he is. He's sitting there. Okay, and there's Rudy right there. And I won't reveal what's going to happen, but to preach the word down there. And we, we, we stand in Nazareth being a humble place. I mean, there's something that's said about that. The guy from... Nazareth was a, was a man of humility, and we'll find that out Joseph a little bit later. And we'll also find a few things out about Rugi and Fode as well. Verse five. He went to answer with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And the church said, wow. I mean, what an incredible passage. I read this and there's just so much there. I mean, God the Messiah. I mean, he revealed himself in the most uncertain way in a virgin birth. Wow. A virgin birth. I mean, that, 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 is, that is staggering mentally to think about that. She was not only a virgin, but, but she had never given birth before. It was new to her. It was a challenge for her. And God revealed himself to a virgin birth. I love, I love Luke. I love the way he writes here. In verse 7, I mean, I love the way he disproves the fact of perpetual virginity, the fact that Mary was continually a virgin. I, I love the way he nails that in one word. Verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. I mean, Luke just has to put that in there. I mean, I, you would think a doctor, 
understood what he meant when he said firstborn. He knew what he was saying when he said firstborn. Firstborn means the firstborn. Therefore born. <laughs> and so it highlights that, yeah, Mary, Mary had children after this. Jesus was the firstborn. And this gets rid of the thinking of a perpetual virginity. What's interesting about this woman that we can learn from is the uncertainty that God forced her to go through. The uncertainty that she go through. The uncertainty that God trusted her to go through. Uncertainty. What's going to happen? Where's the answer? Where's the fire? Where's the angels to reveal themselves? Wait, wait, wait. The uncertainty that this woman had to go through. Her family at this stage was back in Nazareth. And the Bible, interesting enough, doesn't say that when she had that baby, she had a midwife there, she had an epidural and some painkillers. It doesn't say that. I, I, I don't see it. This is through her and, 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 and the little baby Jesus there. And the women know what I'm talking about there. Amen? This is like, mm-hmm. Even in London, mm-hmm, Z4 Mason. I'm like, okay, amen. This woman had an incredible trust in God to go through this uncertain time. No family, no friends. She went through this. Bible says that she wrapped the child herself. Luke put that in there. She did it alone. We know that the baby was Jesus. We know it was God. And of course, again, by birthing Jesus, she... She takes part in one of the greatest events in history. The second greatest. The birth of Christ. First being the resurrection. Bottom line, she's alone. You ever been alone? You ever been in a situation where things were uncertain? And when they're uncertain, they're uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable. Dare we say there's a certainty of uncertainty in Christianity. There's going to be uncertain times. There's going to be things that happen that force you to distrust and be humble. And as I was saying this, I mean, it sounded so cool to say, oh, Jesus was born in a manger, a little manger. I thought, oh, what's a manger? Oh, a little manger, probably a little cool little thing that the Lord put there for. And then I studied out what a manger was. A manger is a feeding of wild animals. And Luke, being a doctor, was aware of all the different foot and mouth diseases that little baby Jesus could have gotten. All the stuff that's associated with livestock. we got a farmer here, our brother Colton. He understands as well. But we understand that Luke paints this incredible picture of trust in the heart of her, Mary, and humility in our Lord. Are you with me here? Yeah. The trust and the humility of, 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 of this moment right here. Trust in the heart of Mary. A woman who's obvious, obviously away from the comfort of family and friends. And, and a virgin, virgin, virgin baby here. The first time going through this. And of course, Jesus being born in a manger just highlighting the humility of our Lord entering the world in to, to, to enter the world in the most humbling of circumstances. Oftentimes, that's how people 
enter the kingdom. In the humbling of circumstances, your marriage is doing to follow Jesus. You, you, you don't have true friends. And you realize, wow, I don't have true friends. And, and, and then you see the scriptures. And you realize you need to follow Jesus. Oftentimes, God works on us when we're in the most humbling of situation and circumstance. I'll never forget becoming a Christian myself. I come to church. God had revealed himself to me in the love of the church. It was very obvious. Everyone was loving. I didn't see it first. I'm like, what do you guys want from me? You're too nice to me. Okay, let me let me test this love on out. Okay, huh? Okay, like me, but let me go up to the white folks. I'm gonna go up to the white guy. Let me go up to the Asian guys in this church here. The Asians even love me. They invite me over for a little Thai food here. Everyone in the church loves me. That was challenging for me. I studied the Bible seven different times. Counted the cross seven different times. Heard the message preached. Sat in the back row, ran out. Kids would come in late, leave early. I mean, that was my MO. And God was revealing him. You know what I'm saying? Michael Luke, there's the You know what I'm saying? Michael Luke can relate to me, that's all. He can just relate to me. That's all I'm saying here. I, I'm not calling Michael Luke out here at all. He just has the same name. And God was working on me. He was working on me. But I didn't want to listen. So God says, okay, let me reveal myself to you. And one day I got caught cheating on my girlfriend. I lost $8,000. I lost all this furniture I had in my car. I had all this high-end furniture. I lost it all. About four or $5,000 of furniture. I lost the vehicle I lost the job that I had. The vehicle that I had, it had gotten broken into, and all the gifts that I had bought for my daughter's birthday were stolen. Then the car got impounded. And I got arrested. In one day. There we say God feels that I needed to seek you. I had nothing else. After that, okay, where are you? <laughs> Humbling of circumstance. God had to allow that to get me to respond to the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, I gotta I just gotta ask you this one. What's God gotta do to you? Wow. You gotta get divorced before you become a disciple? How about it? Teen. How many abortions do you have to have, young ladies? The Bible calls that murder. Wow. How about it, young men? Do you have to perpetuate the stereotype that young men can't be fathers, that they want the blessing of intimacy without the sacrifice of being a true father? What's God going to have to do to you? Wow. For those of us that are professional, what's God have to do to you? Does he have to put you in a financial crisis where you bought more than you should have bought? The home, the finances are just crumbling on in. Does he have to put you in that humble situation where things are uncertain to get you to respond to the call of God? God reveals himself through uncertainty. He'll allow things to be uncertain to get your attention. And for the people during this time, it has been years. They heard about the Messiah, but they, 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 they were humble. They were enslaved to the Romans. The Romans were the superpower at that time. 
God humbled him. And you guys with me here? I'll never forget getting married to Michelle. Uh, that that was the most incredible, incredible, incredible night. I mean, that marriage night was incredible. I, I remember our first our first night, and uh, uh, there's no no better illustration that can highlight uh, being uh, entering things in a humble way than uh, the marriage of Michael and Michelle. It, it was incredible. I mean, I, I I was so excited to get married to Michelle. I, I was so excited. I, bro, what kind of music do you want? Michael Jackson. I mean, I put on Michael Jackson. I came out, I had my cups on, I was doing that. I spun I literally, I spun around everything, and I was there at the altar. <laughs> and everyone is just going, this guy is fired up about this one. And I, and I got I got up there, I was excited, I was, I was ready to get married. And, uh, and, then, and then, of course, and then the Michael Jackson music. And um, then, Michelle, then the, the slow music comes out. The Stevie Wonder, Ribbon in the Sky. And then Michelle came out in that beautiful white dress. Wow. And she just came walking up the aisle. And uh, all the, I, I was confident the entire way. All, when she came up that aisle, all of a sudden the fear of Jesus set in on me. And I just went, I'm nervous. She's really pretty. And she, she, she came walking on up and... And it was awesome. And she got up there, and they went through the things, and then the candle lighting, and you whisk her around, and you read your vows, and then you get ready for that first kiss. And I got ready to go in for that kiss, and as I got ready to kiss Michelle, she turned her head. And I got, I got right there on the side there. into that marriage in the most humbling of circumstances at least I did we got alone it was not side kisses anymore it was the fire was revealed in the sky there baby it was, it was awesome it was encouraging uh, we went out for our first dinner I'll never forget we had what's called the red car now this red car has been a car that everyone in the kingdom has driven uh, this thing has oxidation on the top of it. The windshield wipers scrape when you start it. The leather is coming apart. You shift from first to second. You see the ground that you drive on. I mean, this car was terrible. And of course, we get an invite to go out to this incredible dinner at a high upscale restaurant. But I'm married now. I'm feeling this. I'm going to take my wife out. And so we, we, we got in that car and we, we drove out. And I realized that this was a nice place. So we parked about five blocks <laughs> God gave us that marriage in the most humbling. We entered into that the most humbling way. But you know, humility is good for you. Humility is good for you. Trust and humility are good for you. And that, that, that's what's going on right here. I really believe the solution for uncertainty is trust and humility. That's the solution. Trust and humility. Let's look at another insight that I got here. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. We've got to look at this guy, Joseph. And that's our second point, really. The solution for uncertainty is trust and humility. Matthew chapter Matthew's account. Luke leaves this out. I think it's appropriate for us today. First of all, what are you going to do if your wife comes home and says, I'm pregnant and it's not by you? Yeah. Woo! 
That'll shake up the trust and that will shake up the humility. Quick. I mean, Joseph has his woman pregnant by somebody. Okay, honey. Amen. Okay. You're pregnant by the Messiah. Okay. Alright. Uh, how do you... Hold on, babe. Let me get some advice here. Let me... What are you doing? Where are you going with that one? I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, woo! given a challenging role. Of course, this guy, as we end the story out, he has to play the role of the father of Jesus. I mean, that, that's a pretty humbling role. Yeah. That's got to be a guy who trusts. It's got to be a guy with humility. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let's look at Matthew's account here. Let's see what he has to say. In verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married. But before they came together... She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. They had a physical relationship. She's pregnant. And if you're Joseph, I mean, I mean, his heart had to have sank at that point. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name, because he will save his people from their sins. Right here, I mean, this is very interesting. Joseph and Mary were both from the line of David. I mean, we read that in Luke chapter 1. Uh, and so we understand that they, 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 they knew that the Messiah was to come through their line. I'm, I'm sure that Joseph remembered Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that said the Messiah would be a woman. I'm sure he Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, that said from the seed of Abraham, the Messiah would come. I'm sure he remembered Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, that said that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. And that was in his line. I'm sure you remember 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 12 through 13. That said the Messiah would come from the family of David, and that was where he was from again. But Joseph was was revealing himself. Was this the moment? Because he also would have in mind another scripture. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Verse 13. Says if a man and after lying with her, dislikes her and slanders her and gives her a bad name, saying, I married this woman, but when I approached her, I did not find proof of her virginity. Then the girl's father and mother shall bring proof that she was a virgin to the town elders at the gate. The girl's father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he dislikes her. Now he has slandered her and has said, I did not find your daughter to be a virgin. But here is proof of my daughter's virginity. Then her parents shall display the plot before the elders of the town. And the elders shall take the man and punish him. They shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the girl's father. Because this man has given an Israelite virgin a bad name. She shall continue to be his wife. He must not divorce her as long as she lives. If I and no proof of the girl's virginity can be found. She shall be put to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. 
He has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. And it is disgraceful to be promiscuous, is it not? All you have to do is walk around Camden. You'll see the disgrace on all the faces. He says, you must purge the evil from among you. The man is found sleeping with another man's wife. Both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Wow. He could have taken one of two directions. He could have said, ah, it's time to stone her. It's time to stone her. But I don't believe he was a man of trust and humility. I believe he was a man of trust and humility. You say, what did he trust? Well, look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. In verse 20 it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Well, God revealed himself before the, the, the collection of the Bible, before all the apostolic books were collected, God revealed himself through angels. So you can have the word of God come to you through angels. You cannot have that now. Even though there are churches that teach that. God reveals himself through the Bible. You're not going to get an angel come and speak to you when you're struggling to pop up that oyster card. And it says, it isn't there. That means you need to seek God. But no angel is going to come down and help you. No. Because the Bible has been written. We have the Bible to go to. And we have the miracles in the Bible. You with me here? But back then, God would reveal himself through angels. So it was the word of God that really inspired and moved Joseph to, to, to trust in this situation. He trusted the word of God. How about it? Do you trust the word of God? you got to ask yourself that question. Do you really trust the word of God? Do you trust the scriptures that say, hey, when someone falls away from the church, they have fallen away from God. They are no longer a disciple. They are no longer righteous, as Joseph was a righteous man. And they are not humble. They do not have a good heart. Oftentimes we say, well, you know, I have a, in my heart I wanted to obey the word of God. In my heart I wanted to be in church. In my heart I wanted to give a tithe. In my heart. But you're being evidence by your heart. When Jesus makes his judgment on the church, he says, I know your deeds. Deeds are evidenced by the heart. Are you with me? No. I mean, the word of God. If someone has left the church, if someone has left God, that, that, that person does not have a noble and right heart. That person is not right with God. Now, if they're on their way back, God's love is unconditional. Are you with me? But they've got to be honest about where they're at. And they've got to say, listen, I'm not living the life of a Christian. I know that. That's why I'm coming to church. And that's awesome. We're talking about those who say, I'm a Christian, but they don't come to church, and then they do all these types of different things. Too. They don't trust God. I have a relationship with God, but I don't have a relationship with the church. You can't say that. The scriptures teach against that. You can't say, you cannot separate Jesus the head from Jesus the body. Colossians chapter 1. You cannot say you have a relationship with the head of Christ and not the body of Christ. That's what he says in Colossians chapter 1. He says, he is the invisible God. Are you with me here? That, the, that Jesus is the head of the church. And the moment you decide you don't want to be a part of the church, you don't want to be a part of Jesus. You separated yourself out. You stop trusting. You stop being humble. You stop being righteous. 
As Joseph trusted the word of God, do you trust the word of God? It teaches that. Someone leaves God and calls himself a disciple. They're not a disciple. But do you trust the word of God? Or do you trust your feelings? Well, it feels like they're a disciple. Well, it seems like they're... No, no, no. We can't seem like they're a disciple. We've got to go by what the Bible teaches. Yeah. We, the only thing we can trust is the word of God. We've got so many different people here. So many different... Life, life experiences. Some good, some bad. But the only thing that unifies us is the Word of God. It's the Word of God that pulls us all together. You with me here? Do you trust the Word of God? Do you trust the Word of God? You've got to trust the Word of God as Joseph trusted the Word of God. As the angel had appeared to him. The other thing that's very powerful here is because he was a righteous man, he had it in mind to divorce her. I would talk to the marriage. We have any married disciples out there? Wouldn't this be very humbling to find out that you had this challenge in your marriage? I mean, that's a challenge in the marriage there. You sit down for discipleship time. What's going on? Your husband doesn't want to know? No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm praying by the Holy Spirit. I mean, what does the discipleship partner say to that one there? How am going to work this one out out here? Bro, you need to... Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Interesting thing that says he was a righteous man. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. You know, in our marriages, when, when, when things aren't going so, when your wife isn't so righteous, do you have in mind to disgrace her publicly? Yeah. For the husband, do you disgrace your wife by looking at internet pornography when you're not having that cranking, physical, intimate relationship? You not only disgrace her, you disgrace you disgrace God. That is intolerable. That isn't right. It's sinful. It's evil. It's wrong. Makes me mad. That sin enslaves me. Bothers me when people go there. You You disgrace your wife when you turn to those sins. How about why? You disgrace our husband. Angry. Fits of rage. Because you feel so much. How about trusting God? How about being a woman of humility? How about looking at Mary? Having a kid by herself? Trust God. Things will be uncertain as the cycle. But the righteousness of Joseph is incredible. He didn't want to embarrass his wife. He didn't want to, he didn't want to do that. And we can't do that in our marriages. Are you with me here? You know, we're, we're called all kinds of bad names as a church. We, we, we get all kinds. I just want to put it out there as a church. I mean, if, if you haven't been uh, willing to tell your visitors this, then I am today. They, they say all kinds of bad things about us. Why? Because of life and doctrine. We believe in living a, a life by the Bible. We believe in that. And we do our best to strive to be that. We, we, we do our best to strive to be righteous in that way. But are you willing to be called? Are, 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 as Joseph was willing to say, this is my wife, and bear the disgrace there of not exposing her and to live his life. Hey, 
a man who's, who's had a divorce, he was willing to not shame her. I mean, we, we got to not be afraid of the church. We got to not be afraid of the accusations against the church. We got to not be afraid, afraid to bear the, 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 the disgrace of calling people to account on the scriptures. Yeah. There's no fear in love. Yeah. I mean, I think some of us, we, we get afraid of the church. Called. They said on the internet, they put an email out that said you guys are a cult. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think you're going to be able to use that with the Lord? I didn't become a Christian because I read on the internet. You're not going to be able to use that. Joseph was so incredible here. Willing to bear the shame and the guilt that his wife brought into the family. And to still say, that's my, that's my wife. I'll divorce her privately. I won't, I won't put her to shame. You know, there's a couple that I'm so encouraged by. I'm encouraged by their trust. I'm encouraged by their humility. That's Blaze and Patricia Fuba. I may have messed up their name there. They're French. I don't know if it's Fuba. What it is. I know they're awesome. I may have fumbled the name. But they're incredible. This is a couple that led 22 churches and had the majority of their congregation turn their backs on them. They suffered the war in Abidjan, lost their home, saw many people murdered and killed. Yet they still believe in God. They still believe in preaching the Word of God. They still trust God. And they wanted to move down here to join us. They still trust God's people, even though it's God's people that turned their backs on In highlights, they trust God. In such an uncertain time, they have nowhere to live. I just talked to Blaze this morning. Wow. He says, we got, we got to be out by Tuesday. I said, it's okay. Wow. So next Sunday, they will be here. They're going to be here to worship with us. And help us build this great church here. I really believe God is doing something incredible here in London. We also got to make sure we're reaching out to our brother Yuri. He's going to be here uh, in about a week uh, to be with us here. Okay, he, He's way over there in Germany right now in an uncertain situation. But he's going to come here and be with God's people here at the church. We need to make sure we're reaching out to Yuri. He's going to come here to help us on out. See, I really believe the solution for uncertainty is trust and humility. That is the solution. Do, do you trust when things are uncertain? Do you remain humble when things haven't revealed themselves to you? Are you still humble? This is something that we as Christians and those who strive to be have to embrace. Amen? Let's dig back into our text. Let's pick it up in birthdays. Of Luke chapter 2. Says there were shepherds living out in the fields and in nearby living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were the angel said, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I mean, that, that, that is our call, to bring the good news to all people. And of course the good news is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. 
we see right here that they brought the good news. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior to you. He is Christ, Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find an angel. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with them, appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. You know, the peace of God doesn't rest on you unless you are a son of God. You don't have the peace of God on you unless you're a true Christian. No, no, no. You don't have the peace of God. You have the wrath of God. So if you're not right with God, hey, you may not. That, that may be why you're not feeling that peace. And as disciples, we should feel the peace of God. Because we know that even in uncertain circumstances, hey, we are disciples. And that should give us peace that we are on our way to heaven. When angels had left him and gone into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing happen, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, and a nearby baby was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about, told them about this, this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Our last point is simply revelation of salvation. Revelation of salvation. Right here, God reveals that He is the Savior to these shepherds. And of course, they spread the good news of what it means to have that Messiah, to have to have salvation. And of course for us here in the church, that, that, that is our call to reveal salvation to the nation. That's, that's what we are called to do. To reveal that salvation. First of all, in our lives. And then secondly, through the Word of God. To reveal that you can be saved through the Word of God. That you can be a disciple. You can be a man or a woman of God. That's what was revealed to the shepherds here. And they spread the good news. It's awesome to spread the good news. It's awesome when, 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 when you spread the good news and you see the fruit of the good news. And you reveal what it takes to become a disciple and people respond. You know, I'll never forget some of the first things there with uh, Rudy and Fode. And you know, you know how Fode is, you know. He's got this way about him, Cody. He's got to stand like this here. He's, you know, he's, he's got the cool glasses on there. And he's, he's, you know, he's sitting there and, he, and he's very attentive. He's quite attentive. And I'll never forget saying, hey, we have some good news for you. You can become a disciple. And at first, Cody says, no, 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 no. I'm already a disciple. And we said, well, let's go through what the Word of God teaches. Let's reveal some things in the Scriptures. Let's look at a few passages. There's a little bit of wrestling with the scriptures there. You remember that, Bode? He remembers that, amen. And of course, then, then the women got in there with, 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 with Ruth. And there was some, some wrestling with the scriptures. And some talking. And looking at what the Bible teaches, it means to be a disciple. A follower of Jesus. Because we understand the word Christian, Jesus never called anyone a Christian. You can't go through the Bible and find out what you call people Christians. So we don't use what the world teaches.
to get our standards for what it means to have salvation. We don't let the world reveal salvation to us. We let the Word of God reveal it to us. That's just what we do here. And then we say, hey, Christians, not, Jesus never called anyone. Jesus called people disciples. So you've got to become disciples. And the sisters got in there and was rooted. And it was awesome last night. Even late last night, there was the women, Jeanette, Greenwald, and Michelle, and they're in there, and they're searching her, revealing things to her. And they're saying, you've got to go for it. You've got you to become a disciple. You say, how long did it take? How uncertain was it? Nine? Ten months? I think that's about how long they've been coming around. I think that's about how long. That God has been saying, hey, we love you. God has been saying, hey, we care. God has been saying, hey, we want you to be with us. And of course today, Rudy is going to be getting baptized there. You can become part of our church. You've been hurt by a church? Don't worry about it. You'll get, you'll get healed by this church. You've been hurt by, by a leader? Don't worry. You'll get helped by a leader. You don't believe in the Word of God? Hey, look at John chapter 7. It says, hey, if you obey the Word of God, you'll find out whether it's true or not. Hey, I call you not to get all this scientific evidence. Let's just start obeying the Word of God like Luke the doctor says here. Let's just start obeying. I mean, how, how has it been going for you? As God revealed that He was the Savior here, that is our call as a church. That is what God has entrusted us with. To go out through London, England and reveal salvation. What it really means to be sold out. That's our call. And I want to challenge the church. You know, next week, we're going to have Blazing Patricia. We're going to have him here. And next week, I, I want to challenge the church. And we're not just going to challenge We're going to have accountability starting today. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I want to have the most incredible church service next weekend. I, I, I want to have a bring your neighbor day for next weekend. Uh-huh. I, I don't want you to go for I want you to go to your neighbor and ask them to come to church. Uh-huh. And ask them to come to hear what God will reveal to them through the Word of God. And I, and I want us as a church to have more visitors, more people out than we've ever had. Right. You think we can do that as a church? I mean, how awesome would that be? Our, 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 our highest attendance has been about 100. You think we can break 100 by next week, guys? You think we can break 100? We have 50 disciples. That's just everybody bringing someone. I want to challenge you to bring someone to church. I want to challenge every single individual here that's part of the part of the part of the church to bring to one church. And if you're not a not a member, I challenge you to come back to church. Come back to church and be with us. 
so that God can continue to reveal to you why he's chosen this church, why he's chosen that person, why he is trying to get in there with you. Coming full circle. We're going to dig into the rest of our text next week. And we will get into Jesus at the temple. We will get into Jesus uh, as a young man. We will get into all the details of chapter 2 and rolling into chapter 3. But God reveals himself in uncertain times. And we've we got to ask ourselves, do we really trust? We've got to ask ourselves, are we willing to remain humble? You know, there's nothing that shakes up your trust. Like money. Oh, wow. There's nothing that exposes your trust. Like money. I mean, that's what happened to the rich young ruler, was it not? He had kept all the commandments of his whole life. Jesus, one thing you like, go sell everything. And that was where his trust was at, in his pocketbook. Because he went away sad. Jesus didn't go running after him. Hey, no, you can really help the Constitution, dude. Come back. No, come back. He didn't go running after him. He let him know. And we have the four times missions contribution that we have to come up with here by the end of the month. And we're not going to come up with it. We're going to blow it out. We're going to get much more than four times. God is already revealing that he is blessing uh, the church. He's already revealed that his favor is on the church. I've already talked to you. I had just this morning a brother come up to me and say, Hey, listen, bro. I'm giving 3,000 pounds. I'm giving 3,000 pounds. Because I want God to continue to reveal Himself to us, and I want more souls to be saved. That's just one brother. Of course, we talked a few weeks ago. Another brother says, Listen, I'm going to get, I'll give between four and 5,000 pounds. And it's going to take, it's going to take quite, quite a bit of effort on the rest of us to be able to put the food is on. Yeah. But all you need to do is, all you need to do is sell your, sell your 30 raffle tickets and you're in there. That's it. Sell your 30 raffle tickets and you're in there. So that we can continue to reveal salvation to all the nations. To God be the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.